one. Dun, da, 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 da. Tax the rich, feed the poor, tell there are no rich no more. There's our familiar lyrics, assisted a little bit by Chris there at the start this morning, and it's the July the 3rd the weekend day before the big day tomorrow here on the big weekend annually. We'll see what the heck comes at us this year. Uh, Radio Ranch, of course, our two-hour get-together on the People's Patriot Network. Your host, Roger Sales. Chris is along with us. Somebody else is, too. I'm imagining Brent will chime in, but... It's the second time he's gone through this protocol. So, and last week he was on the road. I think uh, he told us. So anyway, we'll if we don't have Brent already over there, we'll have him soon, no doubt. Um, as I said, Chris is with us. It's the July the third show. A uh, little bit has happened since yesterday. Welcome, Chris. Who's the N? Who's Mister N with us on our board? Mr. N. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Okay. Well, that's JC now. Who's in? N, were you fixing to say something? I guess not. CW. Ooh. CW. Welcome to CW. Um, that's me. Pardon me? That's Chuck. Hey, Chuck. I changed my name on. Hey, uh, Brent's trying to call in, but he called in on Skype. No. On the PPN form. <laughs> I had sent him a message on how to do it last week, and he got in, and uh, and then I just sent him one. Now he's trying to call, right? He's trying to type me something right here, right now. We'll find out. Uh, you guys have a nice conversation for a second. <laughs> well, good morning, Chuck. Morning, Chris. Hey, Chris, I got a question for you. Shoot the juice to me, Bruce. How do, uh, are courts open for you to be able to file all this here, here in Oklahoma? Um, can't say that I know. I think you have to. Most of the courts are shut down in this pretext hoax of the corona flu ruse. And they're only doing, uh, they have drop boxes or mail-in or e-files only. Well, how are they going to hold? How can you get justice? <laughs> well, that's a very good question. It seems like a breach of uh, American due process of law. If you can't face your accuser or the court eye to eye, mano a mano, uh, then how can you know the credulity of what they're alleging without uh, some sort of extra uh, sensory observations of the depths of their dark hearts and souls through their eyes? Then that goes to stand that if they can't, if you can't have access to justice in the court, then to uh, face your accuser, then how is it that they can go with their lien levy and garnishment crap? Well, that's a very good question. How can you hold a sale if you're so so uh, <laughs> you're social distancing or got mask on? You wouldn't know who's bidding. How do you know it's not a shield bid? Hold on. I missed yeah. the first part of that when it came up. I, I came back in on lien, levy, and, and seizure. What, what's the background on that? Well, I was asking Chris uh, if he's getting any 
if he if the courts are open here in Oklahoma in order for him to lawsuit his property, and then I asked, he said, well, they're not really. So I said, well, how are you supposed to get justice? And that's what. Then he commented, and I said, well, if you, it's fine. How can you not have justice to face your accuser on a in a in a court? But they can go ahead with their lean living garnishment crap. Well, because that's basically what. Well, that, those are different issues. One of them, you're talking a legal issue, and the other, you're talking the operations of of uh, merchant law that are contractual. You're talking well, apples I understand that, but and oranges. Your accuser. Or well, you're, how are you supposed to address? Well, it doesn't make any difference. That doesn't have anything to do with lien levy and seizure. Uh, but that is, you know, once again, you're going in here into these courts that we've always known under that system that they fraudulently imposed on us, and you don't understand the damn rules because you don't even know who you are. Or who they are. I mean, you know, really, that, that's what's going on. That's why, as we say, even the simple thing of of uh, 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 claiming jurisdiction, challenging jurisdiction. I've asked it, Chris, I'll ask it again. Does anybody know anybody in the Patriot community who's ever successfully challenged either subject matter or personam jurisdiction at the district court level? Anybody? Anytime? No. That's why you can't face your accuser. I'm working on it. See, and once again, if you understand the basics of this, you can, like a root, you know, the, the, the root of a tree is the central part there that's providing everything. And that's what these little things, these switches they've done down in the base of these concepts allowed them to do is control everything. And we fight their control rather than going back to the origin of how they got it. Well, in fact, it's be really great if Brent can get along on the GISTI program today and we can have his introspective views and how he sees things from his point of the world, which could have substantial operational law and uh, actual in the trenches of observation based upon actual abilities. Yeah. Brent is kind of like, I think if I had a, if somebody asked me, they said, well, what's Brent like? I'd say, well, you know, I've never had the opportunity and the privilege of meeting him personally, like several of you have. But I would gauge over the years that we've been doing this, I kind of, the impression I come away with is Brent is kind of like the absent-minded professor. <laughs> I don't seem like that at all. <laughs> Well, in the respect I see that a really astute, absolutely. learned guy in yeah. many different fields. Absolutely, but the absent-minded professors like that too. He's a whiz on his own specialty, but everything else is a blur. And Brent is obviously an absolute whiz bang at what he does, but when it comes to this technology stuff, he's just lost. Well, and I understand. Now, hold on, hold on. I think somebody just joined us. Let's see if we got success here. Uh, did we uh, connect with Mr. Winters? Yeah, I'm here. Right? There he there is. He is. 
<laughs> Were your ears burning? Well, no, not yet. My my uh, my steam was building though inside of my body as I was getting frustrated. But it's I'm on it now. I don't know what happened. I just took the link and I plugged it in and I popped right up. I didn't have to do anything else. I no, just plugged that, in the link button and there it is that's the nice part about this it appears that our fidelity is better it takes a load off of me because i don't have to answer anybody's phone call or call you back to get you and so oh. you just pop up here and we can get heck i had four, 13 14 people on there i think last friday with you the first time we did it but this is a this comes under the rubric of necessity is the mother of invention uh, Brent, right as you came on with us, we were talking about you. I don't want to talk about you behind your back, but I was just saying kind of what you just elaborated in that if somebody was to ask me, what's that Brent Winters guy like? So, you know, I, I've never met him. We've been doing shows together for a long time. And that gives you a kind of a special, you know, relationship of knowing somebody, even though you might never have met him, like talking to him over the phone for a long time. But I said, yeah. if somebody was to ask me that, I would say that Brent's kind of like, to me, the absent-minded professor in, in this wow. respect, that he's wow. a, the professor got to be a tenured professor because he's a whiz-bang on his subject matter. But yeah. when it comes to attending faculty meetings and stuff, he forgets that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that, that and in that respect is how it, you remind me of that at times because we fought this technical stuff for a while. How you doing, Brent? July the third, tomorrow's a big day. No telling what Black Lives Matter and Antifa have in store for us. Yeah, no telling. Uh, people are armed and ready for anything that they would do that would be violent and dangerous to life and limb. That's what I'm understanding. So uh, I'm doing. I'm not in any danger here, and. Uh, I don't think that I don't go many places, so I don't think that people know about me except on the media platforms. I don't think people even know where I am most of the time. I don't and add to that. I don't know where I am most of the time. <laughs> Absent-minded like, professor. You know, one time I read a story about I can't remember where it was about Adam Smith. You know, Adam Smith wrote uh, Wealth of Nations. Yeah, and he taught. During the Scottish Enlightenment, when people took the idea that the Bible, the Bible was uh, the written revelation of God that was established during the Scottish Reformation, and then they got to thinking, but wait a minute, there's a lot of things the Bible doesn't tell us. A lot of things we need to know the Bible doesn't tell us. We got to find out some other way. So they begin to think through other ways. Of course, they discovered, and in a big way, in a bigger way than they ever had, that. Uh, God speaks to us through the laws of nature, the way things are. He set the laws, and there they are. And, of course, we have people like Boyle, who discovered that Boyle's law, and uh, Faraday discovered a lot about electricity, both of them from, from there, and a host of other folk. Those are just a couple of salient examples. So that guy Faraday, but he discovered a cage. Faraday? He discovered a cage. A cage? Yeah. What kind of a cage? A Faraday cage. 
<laughs> they even named it after. <laughs> Brent, that's a yeah. uh, a principle where you put stuff in a metal box; it'll protect it. You know, like sticking stuff in a garbage can during an EMP or something. Oh, oh those are all I called see. Faraday well, cages. I was just trying yeah, to be funny. Would. Obviously, it didn't go across to the absent-minded <laughs> professor. Well, Faraday, Faraday belonged to an obscure sect of Presbyterians that nobody would have anything to do with because they believed the Bible too strongly. Now, that's a great note. He believed the Bible too strongly. Now, Christopher Columbus was in that category, too, and people didn't want to have much to do with him, thought he was nutty or a fruitcake. But um, anyway, Smith was, uh, of course, he was an economist and uh, an apologist. He his most popular class, he went back and forth from Edinburgh to Scotland by Edinburgh and uh, Glasgow in Scotland, a short trip across there. To, he taught one day, he'd teach one place, the next day or two, he'd teach another at the university is there. And uh, they started high school. The high school was invented there. That's where that started. And then also night classes for adult, night ed, night education for adults was invented during that time. People were invited to come to the universities of Glasgow and Edinburgh to attend classes if they work during the day. Uh, of course, in England, they wouldn't allow that because that was a violation of class sensibility right. to allow the lower classes into the universities. So then they wouldn't let the Scotsmen into the universities down there. They wouldn't let them enter the medical school or the law schools or the, the ends of court, anything. So they just developed their own. Well, Smith was sitting at a at a table with a bunch of important people once and very influential in Britain. And, um, and the fellow sitting across from him had heard about him. So he was taking notes as to what he was like, cause he'd never seen him before. He was famous by that time. And his description never, never left me. His description was this. He said, Adam Smith was choked with books, choked with books. And if he would start to talk, He'd start out and he wouldn't, it wouldn't seem like he knew anything about anything because he'd bumble around for five or 10 minutes. And slowly, he'd, like a fish catching a hook, he'd latch onto something. And then the more he'd talk, mixing metaphors, he said a ball began to swell in his hands. And the bigger the ball got, the more overwhelmed people got until the ball got so big he couldn't hold it as he was talking, he'd drop it. And then the, the conversation would end. Well, I've met people like that, and I used to make fun of absent-minded professors, but I discovered that if people are concentrating on anything, whatever it may be, uh, if they're going to be good at it, they got to concentrate on it. And if they concentrate on it, all other things are going to go by the wayside, and they won't care. I remember reading also about U.S. Grant. And U.S. Grant, of course, was became uh, he became the chief chief general officer of the armed forces of the United States. And it got so that he, he just told people what to do. Written orders weren't much part of his life. And he said one time, if somebody, he said this in his autobiography, he said, if somebody gave me a piece of paper, I never knew what to do with it. Hmm. And I'd always hand it to somebody else. <laughs> and I, I understand that to some degree. I've never been in that high a position, but I do understand that you get to a point with whatever you're doing that you have to have help. And you hand it over to somebody else and you do what you do and they do what they do. And you concentrate on what you concentrate on and, and uh, uh, nothing else matters in the throes of the ugliness of whatever it is you're trying to defeat. Because you're in a battle. If you're concentrating on something, you're in a battle. And you're in a battle 
if nothing else, you're just in a battle for truth and against the lies that are out there. And you don't want them to go any further than the useful idiots of the evil empire want them to go. What are we facing now? We're facing never-ending rivers of lies. And it has never stopped, and it will never stop. And it's our job in the midst of these giant inundations it's our job to uh, just stand up and up up where we can be seen uh, above the flood a little bit and uh, keep carrying this small little pilot light we have called the truth and there are people who will see the pilot light just like a sailor in the raging seas will look along the shore and see the light flash of the lighthouse and knowing that the shore is close by and that's our job um work to keep the lower lights burning as the old song says, uh, some some poor fainting, struggling seamen you may rescue, you may save. And there are plenty of fainting, struggling seamen out there on the top of that flood of lies that's roaring and raging. And they're looking for hope someplace. Something. Go ahead, brother. I was just going to say it's everything you're saying is real accurate. It's incredible to see a lies that's yeah, out there oh, and well, to the right. degree, not only the sea, but the degree of the lies. Chris, could you get that Yelp or a bone, please? And uh, so it, it's uh, and there's your dog that we were joking about the ankle, the ankle biter yesterday. Well, somebody else's dog's yelping, then give them a bone. Um the uh, sea of lies. Well, there it is again. I don't know what the heck. Um, I can mute everybody. Damn now, it. now, hold it. Now, somebody's cussing and somebody's rubbing the microphone up there, and we don't need either one of those things, please. Chris, that's coming well, from you, my bro. Mute, my mute button appears not to be working. I don't know what's with that. <laughs> well, I can mute you, but then I got to, if you want to say something, you'd be muted out. I'd have to hear it. So try and, uh, that. are you rubbing the microphone against your beard or something? Hey, Roger. Yes. Chuck. All he's, all he's got to do is hit the three dot dots on the side up there on the, next to the icons. And it has a hand. So if he wants to ask a question, he just raises his hand. Okay, did you get that, Chris? As we learned the well, software, I did. I can't. I can't tell if it's when it's lit up if I'm live or when it's uh, not lit up if I'm muted. I guess I'm confused about that. It's a new system. Okay, well, get the microphone icon. It'll it'll have a cross through it when it's out when you're off. There's a little icon somewhere on that field, and it's a little microphone within a circle, and it's got a slash through it. And it when, looks the same either way. It looks the same either way. Okay, we'll try. Are you, are can, you, can we get in the app? Or can you, you can you put Yelper in the closet or something <laughs> outside? Put something. In, put you in the, put me in the closet. Put me in the closet. Well, you've been there for years, Chris. <laughs> I'm coming out now. Look out. Um. So, sorry to interrupt our dialogue with all this crap, but, you know, yes. it, it is what it is. Try and figure that out, if you would, Chris. I know you're not as nimble on technology as some, but mess with it, if you would. I haven't loaded it on my phone, so I can't give you any instruction. You probably got a Android anyway. Um, something really happened yesterday, 
Brenton, I want to query you about it's pretty important. It's developing since. And, of course, that being, and we announced it during the show yesterday because that's when it was announced, uh, Miss Giselaine Maxwell getting arrested in New Hampshire. And uh, after the program, and I was listening to some some uh, commentary on it, and the guy dropped a salient point in his conversation. I was in the other room, and I went, whoa. And he said that she was arrested by the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh-huh. So there's a couple of things about 12 days ago, they made a big change over there. I don't know if you saw that. I think I sent you the headline knowing that when you make a sudden change like that in the most important USA's attorney office in the country, that's got some really, really big cases under their umbrella. It's uh, well, it's worth noting. So I saw the headline, made the note. Nobody talked about it too much. 12 days later, Giselaine Maxwell's arrested. In New Hampshire, which doesn't sound like the Southern District of New York's jurisdiction to me. That was one thing I wanted to ask you about. If there's a Southern District of New York attorney office, then there's a Northern District of New York attorney office. And it seemed to me that New Hampshire and Vermont would be bordering that one as opposed to the Southern office. A. Uh B. She's, they've been looking for her for a year, and she was reportedly all over, and the latest was in France, because France, if you're a French citizen, you, they will not allow extradition to any country in the world, evidently. And then, within a week, she pops up getting arrested in New Hampshire. If she, was in, if she came into the U.S., why didn't they get her at one of the ports? Yeah, I, I wonder that, too. But I have discovered also that, remember, the feds don't answer to anybody. And of course, that's part of our problem because they don't answer to anybody. They don't pay much attention to jurisdiction. And here's what the feds do. The feds do whatever they can get away with. And they get away with a lot because somebody questions them. And even when somebody's questions them in the courts, the courts don't pay much attention. So if they want to cross boundaries, I mean, even one case, I remember when I was doing criminal stuff more, a lot more, and it got to be an international kind of thing. It had to do with money overseas, a lot of it. Uh, one, in one instance, the, the Fed went to one of the Central American com- countries, it might have been well, maybe Nicaragua, and uh, whatever country it was, they, they arrested the fellow, and we didn't have any extradition treaty with that country. So they went in, didn't arrest him. No, they kidnapped him. Okay. They went, it went in clandestinely, broke the law of that country. It was Ecuador. And got him out. It was Ecuador. Ecuador. They were going after a, t- a guy. I don't, if it was a guy, remember the, the celebrity that they busted, the black guy 10, 15 years ago, and I don't remember his name on income tax. Uh-huh. It was the guy that he was his teacher. And they came down well, here Henry, to Ecuador. Anderson Arc. I remember the name of the, the company, Anderson Arc. Okay. Well, this other example, it may not be the same one. They actually, but it happened here in Quito at the old airport. And they actually oh. came in and kidnapped him and smuggled him onto the American Airlines plane. And the embassy from Ecuador was trying to stop him. And they got him on the plane and got him out of here. Yeah. And then he went into court and protested, filed a motion, said this was an illegal arrest. And the judge said, well, I don't have any jurisdiction to say anything about that. 
That's in another country. You know, judges will back off and say, well, I, I don't have any jurisdiction here if they think it's convenient. In that case, yeah, right. I thought it was. Not if you yeah. ask for it legitimately. <laughs> oh, I asked a judge one, a federal judge one time. I said, look, people are following me. Uh, federal agents are following me everywhere I go. They meet me in the morning when I go get coffee. They follow me home. They sit around and watch me. And I, I was uh, saying, of course, it was a, a violation of privacy. They're doing the same thing to my family. This went on for a few years. And I complained to the federal judge about it. He said, I can't do anything about that. I said, why not? Well, I didn't. I, you don't ask judges questions. I didn't say why not. I just somehow it came out. Why not? I talked enough. He said, well, I'm not uh, I'm not the executive branch of the government. I'm the judicial branch. I don't I don't have any control over what they do. Well, that's not that's not really true. Judges, even though they don't have ultimate power, they have the responsibility to say something. And if nothing else, it will embarrass the other branch and stop and doing the evil things they do. It is true that a federal judge doesn't have power over the president of the United States and what he does. All judges have federal or state or black robes. That's all they've got. Well, pretty much. Some of these they've got o- the U.S. marshals and the bailiffs to enforce their equitable remedies. But other than that, what's that? Rubbish? Some of these district court levels, sure. Uh, Obama judges and Clinton judges sure think they got more president uh, power than Trump. Well, well, no, they 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 say things, but. Remember what Andy Andy Jackson said when when the bunch of do-gooders right. came out. Right. Half, of the, right. half of the Cherokees wanted to stay in Tennessee, North Carolina, and the, some of them, not even half, wanted to, wanted to leave. No, it was the other way around. Most of them wanted to leave, and some of them wanted to stay. Some of them ran away to Florida, and we call them today the Seminoles. But um, a lot of them wanted to leave, and Jackson decided as president that if he didn't get the Cherokees out of Tennessee and North Carolina uh, that allowed them to leave their culture would be lost forever. And by the way, he had adopted a little uh, Indian boy. I don't think he was Cherokee. I think he was Choctaw. But uh, people make accusations against him that he was racist. Not just hooey. Well, at any rate, um, the Supreme Court, some do-gooder missionaries, Christian missionaries, decided they'd take the case to the Supreme Court and argue that Jackson didn't have the authority as president of the United States to remove the tribes to Oklahoma and set aside a place for them. And so the the Supreme Court went to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court agreed with these do-gooder missionaries who were really just do-gooders for a small, small part of the tribe. And uh, 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 Jackson then went ahead and did it. Now, he didn't just remove the I don't know why the Cherokees get so much attention in this. He removed uh, Indian tribes from all over. He removed the Indian tribes from where I live uh, there in the Wabash Valley, the, the Kickapoo and the, and the Miami and the, the Illini and the Fox and the Sauk and the, all those folk removed them all. And, the, and, but he said, after the Supreme court made his decision, he said, well, the Supreme court has made his decision. Now let's see if they can enforce it. Knowing full well that they couldn't. Because they don't have the power of enforcement, and that's we don't want them to have it. We want them to have the power of prestige, black robes, intellectualism, whatever. But we don't want them to have the power of enforcement if we ha- if they had that. But they do have that power of prestige. It has been. It's not anymore. It has been a powerful force. 
But after the people that are on the court can't tell the difference between boys and girls, we had a recent decision handed down by a so-called conservative judge that uh, said that he was conservative and he he can't tell the difference either, apparently. That's, they've lost a lot of their prestige. Mm-hmm. I know lawyers that have turned in their their um, their membership of the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. Was that, that's, that's phenomenal. Was that one of the but, justices or was it the chief justice it was one of the justices justices recently appointed i can't pronounce his name or i'd try Mm -hmm. (laughs) well it seems like you know funniest thing it seems like the old standard up there that's been there a few years now getting gray uh that carries the banner is clarence thomas yeah, that's the fun, funny thing at this point, you know, as all the rest of them are gone. And we used to call them the brethren. Yeah, that's what right. everybody. Right. We don't. Well, ever since that's not possible, things of prestige, respectability is a better word than prestige. But respectability has waned considerably. And it's become a free for all circus and a joke. Yep. yep. Because they've gone to places our Constitution doesn't give them jurisdiction to go. Their jurisdiction is limited, the Supreme Court of the United States. The Constitution of the United States, the only court that the Constitution of the United States establishes is the Supreme Court of the United States. That's the only one. All the other federal courts in America are under federal jurisdiction. Congress establishes. And what Congress has established, Congress can get rid of with a stroke of a pen or limit the jury. They can do anything they want with them, and they do, except they've never really gone about just getting rid of them. But uh, the Constitution of the United States, we can't get rid of the Supreme Court as long as we have the Constitution, because the the people of the United States established the Supreme Court of the United States, the presidency and the Congress through the Constitution of the United States. And so there they are. But they've lost their respectability. Let me throw a question at you. We were talking about it. I've, I've pondered it a long time. I've never found an answer. Does he, But you understand our stuff enough now where I think you, I'd love to get your insight into this. Does a U.S. national have standing to bring a case into the federal court, administrative court system? Well, sure. If, if, it's, uh, if there's subject matter jurisdiction, there has to be subject matter jurisdiction. In other words, there has to be... Um, you're, you're bringing it. You're, brought, you're not bringing the case when you do that. You're not bringing a case into the judicial system, the judicial branch. You're bringing it into the executive branch. And to boil it down, what you're doing is you're asking the president of the United States what he thinks about it. That's what you're doing. Of course, the president of the United States, by his supposed authority, has established all these administrative courts, everything from the tax court to uh, the Social Security courts. Well, the, all of those judges and all of those courts are dependent upon him for their job and their pay. They, they're there because he put them there. And because and they, they stay there if he wants them to stay there. So they are not a separate, co-equal branch of government. They're just the president. That's all they are. Mm-hmm. Um, now, he, he claims things like, well, I, that's their decision. I didn't make that decision. Well, that's not true. If he didn't like the decision, he can get rid of them. And he, he ought to. And put. I'm not saying this president's doing that. I'm, a lot of them do, though. They try to throw it he's, off on the judges. He's got 200 judges put in place. I heard him talking about it the other day. Administrative judges. Sure. Administrative. Yeah. District. Yeah. Or- 
Yeah, those are his right arm. That's all they are. They're just like any other civil service employees. They're not judges. They're not members of the judicial branch, separate and and co-equal. But uh, they're his employees, and that's okay to some degree. I don't know how many of them would be constitutional ever since the administrative revolution under the communist president. I don't say that lightly. I don't say it flippantly. That's not exaggerated talk. That's not bodacious. He was a communist. That's uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yep, yep. And he he uh, made it clear in what he said and what he did, and the friendships that he forged, for, for example, with Joe Stalin. Um, and he is the one that promoted the idea and got finally then packed or threatened to pack the United States Supreme Court so that the court would go along with him on it and establish this idea that administrative courts have uh, he has the authority to appoint administrative judges and presidents have been doing it ever since. It's yep. unconstitutional. And that is uh, when he stacked it. Wasn't that when he stacked the court when he went, when they went from six to nine? He threatened, he threatened to. Well, he threatened to. He said, we got nine justices. I'll put 14 on there if I want to. And when I put the 14 on, it'll be ones I want. And then the court will have a majority to go along with me. Well, that's a false notion, too. There's nothing in our law that says that the, a majority of the Supreme Court is what governs. That's that's silliness. See, we want to yep. attach, and we do, and the court likes it. Everybody likes it, so they just let them do it. Let the, the people of the United States do it. And lawyers do it. They say, okay, for Five of four justices said this on this point. Therefore, that's the law. There's nothing in our in our law that says that's true. And there's right. really nothing in our tradition that really nails that down. In other words, if a judge gives a dissenting opinion, which they often do, of course, uh, that a dissenting opinion ought to have just as much just as much force if a fellow thinks it ought, it's right as any other opinion, because these are opinions. That's why they call them the opinion of the judge. These are not law. They're law for the case in which they speak, yes. But beyond that, they're guidance. They're not law. And that's there's a lot of difference between the two, and we've gone too far with that. And we've come to the point that we've said that the courts, or the Supreme Court, for instance, or the state, or is the final word on any matter. It isn't. The branches of government are co-equal. There's nothing in our Constitution that says that the Supreme Court or the President or Congress trumps the other two branches of government. And that's the nature of common law government is separate and co-equal branches. And the presidents, of course, with uh, appointing, though, they appoint what they call uh, administrative courts. And governors do the same thing. And it's gotten to the point now, of course, that's just nothing but raw executive presidential power. Do we really want that? Is that what we, Do we want the tortoise to decide who, who gets to use land and who doesn't, the, the desert tortoise. Well, that's all from, that's administrative baloney. That comes down to where uh, the president decides through his administrative uh, uh, bureaucracies how he wants to interpret and enforce the laws that Congress passes. That's what that amounts to. Now, in a limited sense, I, I see how that has to be. For example, if a, a cop stops you uh, and you pull over, and he, he, he's the executive branch of government. He's, he's in the enforcement branch. So he comes up and he says, well, you just, uh, you just uh, failed to stop at that stop sign. You say, well, no, I didn't. I, I stopped. But he said, he'll say maybe, well, you didn't stop long enough. Well, what's long enough? Well, uh, you stopped for less than half a second, and I require a second and a half. What do you mean you require a second? Does it say that in the statute of the state legislature? Some, no, but that's the judgment I'm making. Uh, you've got to stop long enough for me to perceive it, or whatever he says. But he has to make, at that point, he's making a judicial decision. 
He's deciding whether or not you broke the law, you see. So there is that, uh, that aspect of the executive branch. They have to do that. But we, what we've done is just having one guy deciding at one point. Now we've added layers and layers and layers of administrative courts. I've had a fellow one time come to me and he said, he called me. He didn't come to me. He called me. He said, uh, this Brent said, yeah, this Brent. He said, well, uh, this is so-and-so. And I live down in Cumberland County. I said, okay. He said, I live in a trailer court. I said, yeah. Uh, he said, and uh, I'm going to be thrown out. I said, how come? He said, well, uh, my wife and my just got a divorce and uh, they, uh, they somehow they got it in their in their head, the judge, that I was only supposed to get seven dollars a month out of my paycheck, and my wife and was supposed to get the rest. And uh, that was right after they'd they'd hired this outfit out of Iowa to enforce and keep track of everybody's and, and a lot from a lot of different states, uh, all the things that husbands owed their wives or vice versa. Usually, it's the husband owing the wife. And uh, once they get them in the system, it was computerized and all that. That was the end of that. So no more going back to court and saying, uh, judge, circumstances are changed here. This man's starving to death. You bring him in on a stretcher. He's only got about three breaths left. And if you don't give him some relief, he's going to die. He didn't have any money to buy food. Like, well, who was it? Oh, Jerry uh, Reed used to say, she got the gold mine. I got the shaft. Yeah, baby. I'm eating bologna and working three shifts. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the situation. So I went, to, I said, well, we're just going to court. But then I discovered this new system had been put in place. And if you didn't get it changed in the computer up in Iowa, Des Moines, someplace, uh, then uh, you couldn't change the the amount of money that he had to pay. So I said, well, there's got to be a court someplace where I can get this changed. The, the county court wouldn't do it. So I went to an old lawyer I knew there is now deceased. I said the situation to him, told him what was going on. And he said, well, I, I've looked for this uh, court, too, and I can't find it. I don't know where it is. I said, well... I'm going to go to the state capitol, and I'm going to find it. He said, well, good luck. And he said, let me know what you find. So I went to the state capitol, and I went to the, these, all these different bureaucratic agency buildings. Of course, that's a racket, you know, the new, the new bureaucratic agency. And then they usually put them in place because there's somebody that has a building in town that wants to rent it to the government. Right. The, the rent check always that way for twice three times what it's worth so the, all these buildings all over the state capitol downtown near the capitol building that are rented out and i went to all of them had to do with family services i didn't i spent the whole day and I, he didn't pay me he didn't have any money but i felt sorry for him felt and i was compassionate i drove up there and uh, i didn't find the the court nor the tribunal and i finally came back to him and said i don't know what to do i said i could keep him starving if I, i'll share what i got with you but I can't find the court that can help you. Now, it, that's what admit, uh, that's not an exaggerated case. That's what administrative law, administrative courts, and bureaucracies have done to America in all areas of life. It's what they were designed. Now, it's what they were designed to do. That's right. To concentrate power into a single will. The single will of who? The governor of the state or the president of the United States. But they'll say, well, no, no. And a lot of them probably don't even understand what's going on. Oh, I, I didn't do that. Don't you understand your job, Mr. Governor? You're in charge of these 300,000 bureaucrats that work for you. you. You understand that? Let me give you a lesson on, on uh, American government so you understand that. Well, it's like old uh, Llewellyn. He was a legal philosopher from back in the, oh, back in the 40s and uh, 30s. He supported Roosevelt when all that 
first happened. But then later, how stupid can you be? I mean, he had, this guy's one of the smartest lawyers that ever lived, they say, and all that. Well, he was smart, but he apparently wasn't smart enough to see a communist and what it would do to the country. And now that has seeped down to all the state governments. And Llewellyn, finally, and when he got old, he said, I see that administrative law is administrative law in the wilderness of briars and brambles. And once you get caught in it, you can't even find your way out. And all you're looking for, all you're looking for is for your, your story to be heard before a real judge who has black robes in the court. And you can't get there. Oil and gas at home. I was in oil and gas and helping people. Well, shucks, the Department of Natural Resources, which is nothing but a bureaucracy, and it's under the governor. But what really happens in those bureaucracies, they've become so powerful that they control everything. And the man who heads up the bureaucracy, and in this case, it was a rabid environmentalist, uh, he he controlled it. And uh, if you went in to uh, had a problem in the, with uh, oil and gas law and the producer had a problem, you went into the Department of oil, Ga- oil and Gas and you never got out of there. You And if you ever got before a court, and you hadn't introduced evidence at the administrative level, they wouldn't let ev- that right. any other evidence into the court. Right. And you wouldn't get a jury either. It gets worse. Well, there it is. That's that's what you laws to, come from. You have to exhaust your administrative remedies. Yeah, that's right. That's what they tell you. But by the time you do that, you're out of money. You've been to three or four levels of courts, and what all you want to do is just get in front of a judge. The judge in such a case, see, uh, he, he decides it for himself and he always decides in favor of the administrative court. Why? Well, not always, but almost always. Why? Well, because with that administrative revolution of the Roosevelt administration came the, the notion, which is now the, which now the courts observe across the board, that if you want to challenge a regulation, a regulation is an administrative regulation. Yep. It's not a law. It's, it's a man-made, it's a man-made law. Branch. It, it's a man-made yeah, so, law. Well, the legislature, the legislature can pass laws. That's the legislative Correct. branch. But the executive branch in a common law government, a common law world where we live, they don't have the power to pass laws. So the the uh, you get into administrative courts, they've got these regulations where they fill in all the gaps and show you how they want the law to be enforced. Well, if you want to challenge one of those regulations, whether it be an IRS regulation, of which there are more pages than that by far than the, the law itself, if you want to challenge one, uh, the burden's on you to prove its unconstitutionality. The burden is not on them. It's on you. And so that never, and I say this almost, I've never seen a case. It never happens. I've tried it. The, the it only, isn't going to happen. The only way you, you can you over... The regulation of the IRS. What? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say the only way that I've heard that you can get a regulation overturned outside of the, like Trump with executive decree is you have to go back to the original intent of the legislation because the administrative state is man-made laws in the respect that they're not making them. They're interpreting their interpretation of the legislative intent. May I interject? Yes. Is their interpretation of the law? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we'll come back to this. Go ahead, though, Bob. I think it's Bob. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, I have something on the little. The talk little right in, Bob. Bob, talk right into your microphone, yeah. bro. Yeah, I say I've got something on the little laws, the petted laws here in just a second. But 
uh, Brent, have you ever been traveling and you see these little robots, these little wheeled robots on the side of the road that tell you how fast you're going? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess it just goes to a level of uh, perverse humor or whatever. But, you know, if you're going there, if you're under the speed limit, it just has the, the, the numbers are up there. If you're if you're at the speed limit or five over, they flash. And then oh. if you're over five miles, you know, it's got some lights on top, like the, like on top of the cop car that go off, you know, to say, whoa. And I always joke to my daughters, I said, you know, I don't think this is having the desired effect on me. I want to go even faster and see if I can make a siren go off and see if it'll jump up and down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway, boy. all that aside, all that aside, um, are those... And administrative laws, man-made laws, is that, is the appropriate term a petit law, as in petit, small? Well, I think it's appropriate. Yeah, that's how, uh, well, that's, that'd be good. I've never heard it called that, but you could call it that. They and call them, they, one of the phrases they have to identify them is little laws, Bob. Little laws. So I well, guess of that, course, that is French. That is that's French for little, and I was thinking it came from the French Civil Code. Petit oh, it law. does. No, that we, that's why we, that. we have a petit jury. Petit. Yep. yep. We say petite in English, but it means um, the trial jury. It's the tr- jury of 12 as opposed to the grand jury. Grand law French is big, so there's more members, you know, 16 to 23. But law French... Law French entered uh, the English tongue when the Normans came in 1066, and they got control of the government. And that was the only language allowed to be spoken in the courts and in the and the parliament. Well, there's another law French word, parliament, parliament. That's where you parlay. That's French. Petition, petition is a law French word. Uh, distraint and distrainer, that's law French words. Oh yes, that's law French. There are thousands of law French words, and a lot of them, like petition has come right into our English tongue, but it was about two centuries. For two centuries, the Normans, their tongue, they were, they were only a small, a small percentage of the population. But if you couldn't speak that language, you couldn't be in government. You couldn't even be in the courts. And by the way, that's how uh, lawyers arose in our common law world. There were, there were no lawyers in Anglo-Saxon England. There were people who would go to court and plead their causes. But after um, the courts were controlled by priest, Roman priest judges, that's what uh, William, who was from Normandy, on the coast of France, and to say it again, he was Norwegian. The Norwegians had conquered the coast of France, and they called it Normandy. Well, they'd been there 165 years, and they'd picked up the French tongue, but it was a bastardized form of the French tongue that no respectable Frenchman would ever use. But they, they got to speak in it. It was a dialect, and they brought it to England. Of course, if you were uh, nine-tenths of the population, probably more, were, they spoke Anglo-Saxon. But if some widow or some crippled person or somebody whose landed property, cattle had been, or hogs had been stolen, wanted to get into court, they had to find somebody who could speak law of French to, to tell their story. And so there arose a class of men that spoke both tongues, and increasingly— they were an important part of the courts because the, the Normans knew they couldn't keep running the country. There, were, there weren't enough of them uh, unless they could allow the Anglo-Saxons 
into court because if you don't deliver justice to people, pretty soon you'll lose your government. You got to provide a means for them to resolve their differences. And by the way, that's what we're struggling with today in America. If, countries, take Constantine, for instance. Constantine, he was a law of the city man. Of course, he took over as a Roman emperor, but he wasn't stupid. And he, he told the Roman priests, he told the Roman priests who were the judges, he said, you aren't allowed to be seen in public ever without all of your vestry on your body, all of your priestly robes, all of your your trinkets and Babylonian junk. You got to have it on all the time. But the reason for that was this, because they would be recognizable in public. And if somebody had a, a legal grievance, they could stop them on the street and get justice on the spot, wow. get a decision on the spot. If, if two people got together and said, let's just go find a priest and settle this. And so they go out to walk the streets of Rome until they found a priest or anywhere else in the umpire, empire, umpire, the umpires in the empire, and they would find a priest, of course, not being a common law, uh, common law system. They didn't have the jury. They just had priests and the priest could give them justice on the spot. And that's how he consolidated his power. Well, when we get, get to uh, England and America and, and the Normans conquered, they spoke a different language. They began to see that they were losing their country. I don't care how powerful you think you are. If people don't care and can't get justice, you won't stay in power. Uh, that's a fact. Well, that's the problem we're having today. Well, the first step in that in recent times of removing justice was to uh, put security machines and metal detectors in our courthouses. People don't free, feel free to go in there anymore. William Blackstone wrote in his commentaries that of the great features of our common law and the great power our common law had in England in Anglo-Saxon days before the before Magna Carta, before 1066, and he put it just like this. I'm coming pretty close to the quote. He said that there was justice at the door of every cottage. In other words, they didn't just have shire, what we call county courts. They had hundred courts and they had tithing courts, a hundred court. They had county courts. Okay. I got that. But then they had what they called the hundred court, the hundred court. We call them townships today. That's the division of the county. And traditionally in old uh, Nordic in the old Nordic and Germanic world, the hundred was an area of land that was thought to encompass about 100 militiamen, 100 third, 100 of the third, as they called it, the militia. But then they had a court, a court that was under the county court. And then under that, they had what they called the tithing court. Tithe means 10. They had the tithing court and they had a court. If there was a geographic area that a company, uh, encompassed, encompassed, comprised about 10 militiamen, then there was a court there for those 10 militiamen and all the other people that were there also uh, besides those 10 militiamen, but everything you see was done according to how many militiamen there were just as in America. When we took the census, uh, even up through the 1840s from the uh, sources I can find, uh, the only people that were numbered and identified by name were the militiamen. Nobody, women and children were not just the militiamen. Well, why? Well, because the militiamen are the people, the people are, are the ones that the Constitution of the United States says, we the people, who, who are they talking about? They're talking about the militiamen, They're talking about the men who would be goofy enough and 
disingenuous enough to argue that they were talking about women when they talked about that. Women didn't hold office. Women didn't vote. If you want to go back to the Constitution, do what it says. That's what it says. And the phrase the people means the militia taken from the Old Testament. The phrase the people, my people, occurs hundreds of times. Ha'am, the people, ami, my people. That refers to the militia of the 12 several tribes of Israel in most of its uses. But even where it isn't, it always refers to an armed band of men. It's used, for example, to refer to the the militias of all the lands of all the tongues, tribes, and peoples of the earth. It's also used to refer to the militia, uh, the army of the Assyrians, 180,000 strong, which is small compared to to the army of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, which was 603,550 men. That's a lot of men. Well, but they didn't number. They only numbered them. Well, that's the way it was in America. That's the way it was in old England. You number the militiamen. You don't intrude into into uh, the lives of the women and children and do that. But the militiamen, quite different because they're responsible. They have to be mustered in case of, in, of insurrection or invasion. But all that comes back to all that comes back to uh, uh, the the delivering justice, being able to deliver justice, and if we don't have county courts that are open and we don't even have township courts in my view we ought to at least township courts but if you don't have county courts that are open people are afraid to go into courthouses now they don't want to get arrested they don't want to be hassled they don't want to be shaken down they don't want to be confronted with a a deputy that acts like he's a thug and that's what you get in a lot of cases or a u.s marshal no courthouses should be places that are open where people can come because if you don't have that Number one, people won't come in and resolve their differences. That's the foundation of all government. And number two, people will be, it will chill people's desire to come in and observe what's going on. We have a right at common law, our constitution includes it in, in the federal courts, to a public trial, public. And if it isn't public, then we don't have freedom. Because if it isn't public, we don't know what they're doing to it. And by the way, also... Uh, if it isn't oral, it can't be public. At common law, trials are oral. That's why we have confrontation, verbal confrontation of witnesses against you. You got to be able to look them in the eye. You got to, the jury has to be able to observe their expressions. You have to be able to banter them a little bit. I use that word cautiously, but you shouldn't banter a witness, but you've got to pound away at them. You've got to cross-examine them, and you and their reaction has to be seen, and that can only be done orally. And that's not true in the rest of the world. So, may I ask a question, Brent? Is that Chris? That's Chris. It is. Oh, Chris, he, you I, it sounded funny on my computer, that, but I thought it was you. That's because you've well, always heard him calling over the phone, and he's got now a digital yes. transmission. So, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, you. Well, I've got myself in the closet, and the dog has been threatened, so he's being quiet. So now I'm in a little better shape. I thank you very much. But we were having a discussion prior to you getting connected with Jitsi today, uh, Chuck and I, as to whether these, uh, let's call them these crazy COVID, uh, let's see, we, we're going to term this the event 20.1, like Agenda 21 although they call it event 201, these crazy courts now are all shut down 
and only the people that are called can go in. That makes it a secret process, a cruel trilemma, an inquisitorial star chamber, in my estimation, and it's depriving of American due process of law to hold one under these guises of uh, uh, fear of the dreaded virus hoax, and uh, it seems to be oppressive of true justice under the law, as we in America know. And, of course, in these administrative courts, there is no expectation of presumption of innocence. They presume you're guilty in these types of uh, conflicted, biased agency courts that hold you in their, in their uh, guise of being a prisoner, drug reform to extort your money, eke out your wealth and substance. And they're an affront to the American law system, in my estimation. So what's the solution? What do you think? Don't don't be well, subject. To Somebody's getting a call. Don't be subject to their jurisdiction, Cody. That's the answer. Yeah. No, I'm not going. Well, I'm glad you said that, Chris. And I'll tell you why. Because I don't know why I didn't think of it. So much racing through my head when you were talking. Number one, when you go to administrative court, none, none of the, none of the rights to which you're entitled in the courts uh, will be in, or have to be enforced. Sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. For example, um, the rules, common rules of evidence, they use them when they want, they don't use them when they want. Number two, the, um, the right to remain silent, they won't tell you about it because you're not in court. You're, you're in front of the executive branch. They, they may or they may not. And beyond that, though, I talked to a fellow just a couple of days ago in the hinterlands of the Midwest in the Ozark Hills, and I won't say where it is because the Ozark Hills stretch across Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, in southern Illinois, Indiana, and Kentucky. So I, you can't pinpoint this very well. I don't want you to. But I found out that a fellow I've been helping, client, he's going to, they're going to go to trial at the end of this month. They don't want to. The judge says, I don't want to go to trial. Why not? Well, it's a stupid case, but prosecutors brainless. But he said, he said, we're going to have to rent a church. Rent a church to hold a trial. Why? Because the right to a public trial applies and the laws from the Supreme Court of that particular state or the laws, the orders say, You've got to exercise social distancing in the courtroom, and the courtroom is not big enough, and there's going to be enough people at this trial because it's such a circus that uh, they're going to have to rent a big church. Now, fortunately, in this area, there are a lot of big churches. We're talking serious Bible Belt country where there's some pretty good-sized churches, and they can uh, rent the facility to have the trial. That's how crazy things have become. That is crazy. Why is it crazy? Number one. Because there is no pandemic, and there is, I say this, Roger, I understand your point, Roger, but I just say there is no virus. Oh, there's viruses. There are millions of viruses. Hundreds of millions. Yeah. So what? Oh, they found another one? Let's bring this, let's resurrect this virus, drag it out of the grave by its ears, and tell everybody it's going to kill the whole country and we're going to have another black plague. My mother texted me yesterday, two days, three days ago, and said, we're all right down here up against the North Fork on the high side. We're barricaded in. I bet she said, I don't know anybody 
who has had the virus. I don't know anybody who knows anybody who has had the virus. And I don't know, and I've never met anybody who knows anybody who knows anybody who's had the virus. And even though, and I've met some people, I told her I've met some people who claim they know somebody who died from it or has it. Well, that's just hooey too, because a lot of people that are dying or getting sick now, they're putting that label on it when it isn't true. Matter of fact, that's proven beyond question by the thousands. If if you got if you're walking jaywalking and you get hit with a truck and killed, and they yeah. take you to the hospital and they find the virus in your system an antibody of it, you died of COVID. That that's what's yeah, going on. Viruses in all our systems, and we're on the edge of death at every moment, all of us. But our bodies oh. are so fearfully and wonderly, wondrously made that God so designed. Well, let, let, I, I Let put, me interject something. Bob, here. hold what, on just a second. Let me the before purpose of vaccination. <laughs> What's that? Go ahead. Repeat that, Bob. I say, what is the whole purpose? Purportedly, purportedly, what is the whole purpose of vaccination? It's a rhetorical question. It's to build up immunity, if yeah. it even works. Yeah. Let's just say that it does. Uh-huh. But the other way of getting it is what? having the disease, having the symptoms, having the virus, and recovering from it. So the death rate is quite small. We all know that. No matter what the hype, when you finally look back from a window of hindsight, it's not as deadly as a normal flu season. And all of a sudden, we're just flapping our gums and beating our chest about this second wave, blah, blah, blah. But the death rate isn't climbing. Okay, so... The point is, what's a bad? What's the, what's the downside of getting people immune? We should be celebrating. Hey, Bob. Well, we're this getting, is we're getting what we wanted without screwing around with the vaccine. None probably, of it. None of it makes. Work. None of it makes sense because we don't know what they're doing. And I went back. I talked about it yesterday. This James Corbett report. And I went back right before the program today and, and watched that segment again, Brent. I'll send you the link to this at about 11 minutes i think into the video he goes into a book that was written in 2003 describing how they could build a whole new political system which is based on entirely different things except biosecurity and that's what they're doing and he reads about four or five minutes of excerpts out of this book i can't call the author's name he's foreign whatever but it's obviously what's going on here Okay. Well, go back to Benton Good morning. Parton. Good morning. Go back to Benton Parton. Yeah, Benton and the Parton. Whole thing with classical conditioning. Yep. Where Where are we at? We're Ca- whipping our, our our necks left and right like we're watching a tennis match, trying to figure out mass, no mass, distancing, no distancing, whatever. I mean, we have been whiplashed. Yep. I'm using that in the wrong sense. I realize, but we have been hornswoggled and boondoggled so badly on each extreme of multiple levels of this stupidity, this so-called plague that we are in as a nation. We are in that state of not knowing, you know, just catatonic, and they're shaking in the catatonic, yeah, catatonic exactly. state. You That's know, right. yesterday mm-hmm. the, there was yeah. 
as a nation what the hell to do. Well, there's a great example. We and talked about time. it yesterday. There's that little snowflake video, that little, she looked like the Oriental American girl, <laughs> just crying because she's gotten fired because of a tweet she put out about you me. Right. Well, at the same time, you mean Trump supporters? At, at the, and at the same time, the, the story pops up in the head of the University of Massachusetts nursing school now. Nursing school got fired because she put out a tweet yeah. that all lives matter. At the head of a nursing school and put out a tweet that all lives matter and got fired. Ball of confusion. That's what the world is today. Hey, hey. In the same sentence. It's, in uh, the same sentence, she acknowledged that Black Lives Matter, but that that's not all. All lives matter. So it yeah. wasn't as if she was dismissing Black Lives Matter. It was just putting it in perspective. Yep. Yeah. Well, pathetic. Pathetic. Obviously, it was the wrong perspective that was desired. <laughs> hey, Daryl, welcome aboard. It's man. mask hysteria. Yes, mask hysteria. Mark. That's good. That's yeah. very good, Chris. Okay. Mark. Yeah, it's uh, it's. <laughs> Sadomasochism. Uh, it's also uh, it's also a form of uh, this is also a form of uh, what I call covicide, covidicide. Yeah, right. So by the uh, covidians, there's a, yeah, like like covidiacy, and uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's quite a thing. Um, what what uh, what was I going to say? Here? While you're thinking, let me just yeah, add. I'll put that yeah, James Corbett link yeah. again in today's show description, and I would encourage everybody to go back on that, listen to what he says, maybe twice what he reads, and get your arms around what yeah. this really is. I I watched it. It was really good. I I'll I'll second that and endorse it as well. Um, Listen, I, I'm not I'm not really too upset about it all because uh, it I would be, but it wouldn't do any good, and uh, which doesn't mean that I'm not going to take measures and steps on my own part. But I I can't really be upset for other people when they're too stupid to uh, be upset for themselves, and uh, so this is a this was the ostensible virus, the ostensible if you don't. If you don't have a really good working understanding of the word ostensible, you should really look it up and study it because this is the ostensible virus. And uh, the, uh, the point I would like to make here is that this was simply a, a, uh, a, a solution to a problem. Okay. And uh, if, if you don't have the right, if you don't have the right conceptual understanding, of this, the pretext of the pretense, then, then you're just going to continually be mind punked. You're being punked. It's as simple as it gets. You've been bamboozled. You've been punked. The whole it's just what I call global gaslighting. Yep. You've been gaslit. Yep. If you want to understand what gaslighting is, look around you. Listen to the media. Listen to the radio. Look at your neighbors. They are. They have been gaslighted. And, and, and gaslighting is a form of psychological terrorism. It's yep. psych, psychological terrorism is psychological traumas. I understand this. I, I, I'm going to go so far as to say that I was predicting this two and three months ago. Was I not? And, uh, uh, and how they would do it and, and the effects on the mind. 
the people that you see becoming more and more outraged and irritated are the ones that didn't get it. Okay. And now they're coming around. They're starting to get it. Are you getting it? Okay. Uh, uh, there's this, there's, I always want to share with you a little quote from the movie, the matrix. Okay. And, and it's, Simply this, you got Morpheus talking to Neo, and he says, unfortunately, you can't be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Well, I saw it 20 years ago, okay? And and uh, I listen to people all the time, and I, I know when they don't get it, all right? They still think, they still think that they're in this other, this other reality, well, you're not. You're in the matrix. And, uh, you know, everybody has to find it at their own time. Okay. But I ain't going along with you. All right. Because I know where this is going. You know what I envision? I, I the ma- do know where it's going. How do, when you say the matrix in that context, what do you envision it as? I, I see it as a prison without walls. I see it as a control, a control, a spiritual and mental control of your mind and your perception. It doesn't have walls, but uh, you see it all around. I see it all around me. Let me ask you this, if you if you'd agree with this invisible jurisdiction. That would be that would be a, a way to bridge for people's perceptions, Roger. That would be a. That's an extremely good expression, actually. Actually, it really is. You're entrapped and, in and an people, invisible jurisdiction yeah. from birth that you don't know about, yeah. but yet that you've agreed with every time you've ever been asked your entire life. That's the matrix. That would be a, that would be a cornerstone. That would be a foundational cornerstone. It would be, uh, it would be very Kabbalistic, it, would it not? So... Um, I, I, uh, listen, I, I, I know where this is going, guys. I, I, you know, I, I, I just understand it. And, and Chris said another term, you know, this, you're, you're being herded as an animal into a digital panopticon and all the realities and baselines that you, you thought you had and you had founded your reality moved. on. They've been moved. And they've. Well, they're soon going to go poof. Yeah. Okay. And you're going to lose the narrative. You're going to lose. You're going to lose the perspective of where this is at and where it's going. And and you're going to flounder. You're going to have. You're going to have vertigo. And uh, it's going to be very. You, you, you'll know it because you'll be around angry people when they finally get it. Uh, you know. You know what? It's like I told the. the Go ahead. I was going to say, Glenn, when Glenn edited the book, and I'm glad Brent's here. Um, when Glenn edited the book, he put a lot of things in there. He made it the book it is, really, from the manuscript that I wrote. Um, but one of the things that he and John put in there was a quote. I think it's out of the Old Testament, Brent, where it says, don't move the ancient stones. And I'd never uh, heard that before. Do you know where that is? Oh, I think it's in Proverbs and uh, my granddad quoted that a lot, especially when they went to move the church building. Oh, that ticked him off. But he quoted that verse, and uh, 
it's in Proverbs, I believe I could look here, but what it's about is uh, uh, frauding your neighbor by moving the, the boundary markers of land. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and what they've done is so, they've taken our boundary markers of the way our system passed down hereditament and how we got all of our rights and duties, and they've moved the ancient stones. Uh-huh. It, this is this is the same with weights and balances too. To use yeah. to use accurate weights and balances. So of course the federal the Federal Reserve notes are not accurate weights and balances. Ah, <laughs> boy, and we're about to. <laughs> Is parcelization, where they claim jump and overlay the private grants of land made patent set forth by the meets and bounds, the township range and section. Yeah. Speaking of the financial touchstone there, there's a headline showed up that said expect inflation and expect it soon. So I think we're going to start seeing some of the results of all that. They can't hide it forever. No. That's an excellent observation, too, about weights and measures that the, the law of God, the word of God, all dovetails together perfectly. By the way, that's Proverbs 22, 28 and 31, 10, I believe repeats it. 31. So it's been, no, not 31, Proverbs 23, 10 and 22, 28. But it's the principle. It's the first principle. It's the first principle that applies as that also to weights and measures. You've got folk, folk. I don't know what they are, some kind of creatures up there on the Federal Reserve Board, and they decide what our money's worth. The Constitution of the United States and the Bible itself forbid that. And anybody who tampers with weights and measures, it's not just, in God's eyes, go to the Old Testament and read it. It's not just a crime. It's a capital crime to tamper with weights and measures. Why? Because to tamper with weights and measures strikes at the foundation of a people. The capital crimes are those crimes that a people believe strike at their foundation will destroy them if allowed to continue. Therefore, in the Bible, you just go to the Bible, see what God says are capital crimes. Those are the crimes that the, our maker says will destroy us as a people. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, well, murder, take, murder. take a go look ahead. at how far it's gone beyond that, though. Yeah, really. We can't well, even as a society figure out whether we're female or male. It's yeah. gotten to that point. I mean, how is that even debatable? I understand yeah. there are, in fact, hermaphrodites. Okay, I get that. They are by far the anomaly. Oh, yeah. Beyond that, I think it's pretty definite. There's innies and there's outies. And if you can't figure that out, you need to be taken outies. I, mean, I can, just I can explain to you how we've become confused, Bob. <laughs> the Frankfurt School. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. In, intentional, intentional, and we've we've swallowed the pill. Well, you know, we haven't, but a whole. We how to describe the matrix. Yeah. We're asking Daryl how he would describe the matrix. It brings to mind that scene from the old uh, pulp western fiction show. You know, support your local sheriff, where James Garner takes on the sheriff's uh, position in some fictional town that's lawless. Bruce Dern is playing the part of one of the sons of some mean bunch of guys and uh, he arrests him and he puts him in jail. And he says, what do you mean putting me in jail? There ain't, there are no bars. He said, oh yeah, they're coming. <laughs> they're on order, but we ain't got them yet. But you stay in this corner because you're in jail. 
And somehow or another, he convinces him to do it. And Walter Brennan is the dad. And he shows up to skin the sheriff and get his son out of jail. And when he sees that his son is in jail, quote unquote, in jail with no bars, the look on his face and Bruce Dern is so, so embarrassed that he's been found by his dad in a jail that doesn't exist. You know, the analogy would be our Heavenly Father's looking at us saying, you're not in jail. And we're saying, oh, you, you can't see the bars, Father? Mm. We're in jail. We're in prison. You don't hey. really have the power. The government has power. You can't, you can't liberate us from this. And we don't even understand how to get out of it by simply being our Father's son. Hey, is that like the emperor well, has no clothes? Well, let me, uh, let me let me let me follow up just a moment on uh, on on probity there. Um, probity. The uh, <laughs> one of the uh, one of the uh, <laughs> sorry, one of the best ways that I I think I could describe it that would relate to other others that are listening is that the matrix is bounded by fear. And and this is real. They people have made their fear real. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here. And, and I'm how's, not here to try how's, to how's how's the fear on. delivered and set up? Administrative agencies. Yeah. Well, it it's it's actually it actually that's that's how it is done through governmentally, but but fear is contagious and you've been conditioned and indoctrinated into fear by your parents and your community around you and your, your associations. And uh, this has been ingrained into you from the time you were a little, a little chap uh, to obey authority and see, you don't know. And we have a lot of people who were very uh, good, nice oriented. They would describe themselves as these good people and law-abiding, and they don't understand that they're by they're abiding by uh, and giving authority to and credence and credibility to uh, a contravening contravening authority. How about a foreign? Uh, juri- so, how about a foreign jurisdiction? How about the words of yeah, foreign? He I, has. I don't take unlawful words. Ingrained. ingrained. And I thought you were actually, you, when you used the word, it's been ingrained in you. I actually thought you were going to use another word that's very close, and you have used it in the past, the word entrained. And that's yeah, kind of well, the way I see it, because yeah. I, never, I yeah. never went out and sought a Social Security number. It was bequeathed to me, or at least to my registered organization, and it was also yeah. never an active part on, I, I never really thought about, you know, getting in the income tax club because when i went to my first job everybody said well this is the way you do it yeah you know it's it's expected this, this is, thank you and i yeah. was in train this is, i was sucked into the this, i was sucked yeah. into the stream yeah. thank you beardsley this is Rummer. part of the your social conditioning by this is part of your conditioning that your your community and your your social group around you uh conditioned you into and that if you didn't do these things that you should be fearful so yes, uh, as I, as I was telling as no. I was telling other people just here yesterday I said I told them right there right to their face a half a dozen of them and they're looking at me like and they didn't know whether to smile be angry or or what but I said 
you know, you, you've all told yourselves and everybody around you is, I, I said this to them directly, right? Right, the, right, right to the faces. I says, cause they're irritated. Okay. And they're upset and they don't understand. And I said, you've, uh, you've convinced yourself that you're good law abiding citizens and indoctrinated and taught your children and your grandchildren to do this, to be obedient. And now when it's time to disobey, you don't know how to. Yeah. Good point. You don't know how to disobey. I had a, years ago, somebody pointed me to a, to a study. I don't remember where it was. Some big Midwest university. Well, it may have been the East. It was back during the days when the cycle battle crowd was really trying to get in gear back in the seventies. Uh, they, uh, somebody, somebody who was in grad school drove by a schoolyard, and the schoolyard had a chain link fence around it. And there were hundreds of kids on the schoolyard, and dozens and dozens of them were up against the chain link fence, hanging on with their fingers and looking out at the traffic and all the things that were going on. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and this psycho battle, uh, um, master's degree candidate or whatever it was, doctor's degree. Said, That's terrible. What they're doing to those children, pinning them in like that, like animals. So decided to do a study on the thing. And uh, what happened was in the study, uh, found a school that would agree to take the chain link fence down. And so they took the chain link fence down. They turned the children out on the playground. Of course, they bust forth like like they were about with energy and they ran out of the playground. And once they saw the fence wasn't there, they began, they, I don't even know if they thought about it, but after a while, um, the children were all huddled up. Most of them were huddled up in the middle of the playground doing things. Nobody went out the edge anymore. Now it seems to me after hearing that, I got to thinking about the, what God said. It seems to me that the result of fear, the fear is the, I'll put that the other way around, the fear is the result of lawlessness. In other words, if children or grown folk don't know where the boundaries are, or they've forgotten, or they don't care, their fear will increase exponentially. But once you put the boundaries up, like the chain link fence, uh, men will live to the full, plenary, to their full plenary ability within the bounds that they're given. They'll run right out to the edge, and there's no place they won't go within the bounds that they're given. You know, we even say that about the federal government. The federal government does this. Sure do. Uh, the constitutional law, the, the case has said that the feds have plenary jurisdiction within their jurisdiction. In other words, they can come right out to the edge. This, they don't. There's no buffer zone. Uh, there's a line. You come out to it. You don't cross it. And each one of us should live our lives that way if... We know what God's boundaries for us are. We should live it to the full within the boundary. But if we, if for a society the boundary is obscured and we live in what Jesus Christ called lawlessness, then we will live in fear. So um, to sum up, uh, fear, which is the great, the great uh, sin that destroys us, it's a sin itself. Yes, it is. Fear not. Be not afraid more than any other command it gives. And um, there's only one fear that's justified, and that's the Yerath Yahweh, the fear of, of uh, Yahuwah, the, the fear of the Lord, as the old translation say. If we don't know, if we we, we, we have not learned, we, we do not care, 
and we do not try to practice God's law to know where his boundaries are, fear will overtake us. It's odd, somebody like Roosevelt, who was quoting a man from the ancient past, he didn't come up with this, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. He promoted lawlessness and promoted fear. And that's what's being promoted today. Any lawlessness that can be promoted, whether you say there is no law or whether you say here's the true law, wear a face mask, that's a lie. Any fear that can be promoted will make us more fearful because we don't know where the true lines are. Somebody, please tell us what God said. And that's what we need more than anything else. If to we, know what God said. Yeah. If, we wanted, if we right? want to take that example, Brent, of the school and the kids, if we were in the yeah. school and they let us out, what would the fence be? The administrative state. Be. The administrative state's the fence. Well, it can, it, it, if it's perceived to be the limit, yeah. But that will produce fear because that's a false law. And Correct. a false law is lawlessness. So yep. it comes back to the only remedy for lawlessness and the fear it produces, whether it be false law or no law, anarchy or whatever, law of the city, administrative law we're talking about, which is one of the forms, the law of the city, as I understand it, then we will live in fear. The only answer to our problem here with this virus and all the other things that have happened and will happen for us personally is for us to do three things. The book of Deuteronomy, now this is the law, and it's clear. It's black letter. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. We must, in order to avoid fear, we must learn Number one, the law of God. Number two, we must safeguard it. And number three, we must do it. And if we don't do that, if we don't do that, God tells us what the result is in the 28th chapter of that same book. He said to his people, he said, you'll get up in the morning and you'll say, I wish to God it was evening. Yeah. And you'll go to bed at night and you'll say, I wish to God it was morning. How long is night going to last? And you will wander about from place to place. And you won't even know who you are anymore. And then you'll be struck with diseases. What's this virus thing all about? You'll be struck with you'll be struck with diseases, the botch of Egypt, all these things that you had down in that filthy, stinking manure hole down in Egypt, you'll have here. Well, that's what we're seeing happen now. And it comes from fear, and fear is the result of lawlessness. In other words, law. The will of the sovereign, the will of the maker of heaven and earth is the only true law. And James says he's the true lawgiver. And without that, we are doomed. But personally, on the personal level, we can do better than that. I would ask people, let's get practical. Do you read something out of the Bible every day? Something, a verse, if not a verse, a chapter, whatever you can bite off and chew daily, like brushing your teeth. Do you do that? Because if you don't do that, You'll, you won't know anything about God's will. You won't know anything about the limits. And you will increasingly live in fear. I don't care how, how arrogant you are about not doing so. It'll happen to you, and you'll go down. Yep. Give it time. Give it time. Yep. Do you need a personal testimony? <laughs> anyway, back to yeah. whoever's got yeah. to talk. Well, I just... I, I just wanted to, I wanted to use your analogy, if I might. Uh, I think it's a really good one about the, uh, the fence around the schoolyard and uh, how the children would uh, be happy to work within the, the limits of what they were told. Well, I, I apply this to I apply this to the basic mentality of the people that serve in the military. Okay, the, talk about a mind-controlled bunch of tools. 
Okay, I was in the military. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. I was there. I was there during the Vietnam War. Okay. And here's what here's what you had you had men, mostly men, doing things by the set by the limits of those that were giving them orders that they would never even imagined or could ever considered possible in their by their own merit or life in in action. They would never even consider these things. But then an authority tells them, well, listen, the fence is over here. You can go out, out to this limit and do this. They, they gave up. They abdicated. They abdicated uh, their, their uh, personal responsibility and delegated it to somebody else to be a tool. And, and of course, there was atrocities and crimes. And they, they had no concept of why they were even there. And then they want to be praised for it. Okay, and, and at the end of the day, they all, almost all of them come back and they're injured, either physically or emotionally or spiritually. They're damaged because they, they let somebody else set the limits for them and, and became subject to their authority. This is, you want to talk about mental entrainment? Look at the military and the people that serve in it. They're not heroes. They really aren't. They really are not. But yet we have this mythology and we pacify our conscience with the fact that they are heroes. Now, did they do individually heroic things when they were trying to save their own lives and their buddies' lives? And and you're in a foxhole with somebody and he's got your back and he, he takes care of you? Yeah, that's that that's pretty heroic. But what got you there in the first place, right? You know, we, we have to kind of get down to some of this stuff because as long as we can continue to uh, continue to, to perpetuate this mythology, okay, of fighting somebody else's war for their reasons and, and abdicating this, you know, uh, you know, this is this has killed a, this has killed a lot of people, you know. Right here from our, our own friends and family and neighbors. You know? War is a racket. Yeah. War is a racket by Smedley, Smedley Butler. Butler should be required reading. But but everybody wants to, yeah, they, they balance scrape to this, uh, this authority of the military and the heroes. This has also been transferred over. This, this mentality has been transferred to these other people that wear costumes in public called police officers. I, I, I'm tired of it. I'm really tired of it. You know, I, I don't care about police officers and law enforcement. I don't care. Because you know what I want, Brent? I want, I, I agree with you. I want to go back to common law because we don't have it. It's, that's a, it just isn't here. It's, it's not present. It's not effective in people's lives from a meaningful way. I want to go back to peace officers. I don't want law enforcement. I want peace officers. Well, I want it to be what it's supposed to be. Well, I, I don't want a law. If there yeah. was a time when peace officers were had a chance to get on the upswing and gain more uh, power, it's now. I have one sheriff, one sheriff I'm talking to a lot, and uh, I asked him. He'd been in office four terms. I said, should we get rid of the police? He said, absolutely. I said, Why? <laughs> He said because um, the sheriff has jurisdiction throughout the county, they need to get rid of the police. 
the and law enforcement officers take all that money, give it to the sheriff's department, and let them do their jobs. And we're responsible to the people. The police aren't in the same way. Correct. The sheriffs are. Yep. That's what we need to yep. do. And he said, if this mayor, and if I'd have been in Seattle, I, I said, I'm not boasting. I've been out this long time. He said, I just think I would really have arrested that mayor. That mayor needed to be arrested. She's lawless. And she caused death. And I, I share the sheriff in that county where Seattle is, has jurisdiction over everything in that county, including the city of Seattle. And he should have arrested her and restored order. Don't you think it's going to be interesting? You know, what's going to really be interesting out there, Brent, is the next election and to see if the people turn that witch out. I just saw where the sheriff of Kitsap County, uh, which is right there close by in Washington, right across, I don't know where Kitsap County stretches, but it's right across the, the sound from Seattle and Bremerton. And uh, he, he put out an order and said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to enforce these things. What he said was, these orders of the governor are not law. That was his first statement. They are not law. They are measures, measures to promote health. Well, he was being nice about it, but he said, I haven't arrested anybody. I haven't spited anybody. I haven't taken anybody. I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to. Well, that's the way it is all over the country. I went to Walmart. I was in Oregon. Not too well, it was the day that I was traveling, like I do sometimes. It was the day that uh, everybody had to wear a mask in all public places in Oregon. And I was in Midford, and I stopped at Walmart that day. And I thought, oh, boy, they're going to shake me down. They're going to try to force me to wear a mask. I walked in. The employees had on mask. It was a super Walmart. Hundreds of people there. I didn't see anybody with a mask. So it's gotten really? to the point, apparently, and Medford's kind of a, well, I wouldn't say it's what I call a conservative place anymore. That's the pot-grown center of the country now. I, I would say that probably uh, people are getting so they don't care, and they're just not paying any attention to these these bozos. I don't know what they, else. They cried wolf. They cried wolf again? one too many times. You think I, maybe I, they've I, cried wolf one too many times? Yeah. Yeah, I did cross my mind, too, Daryl. I agree with you. But uh, fortunately, fortunately, people are saying, no, we're not going to do this. And it did take them a long time to wake up. I hope it continues. And I hope the sheriffs, this whole back thing backfired the sheriff to get, uh, continue to gain influence and power. A lot of them are making public statements, I see, on the news about what they're going to do and what they're willing to do and not willing to do. And we should take the opportunity to support our sheriffs. I told folks. Everywhere I had the voice, I said, uh, go down and register with the sheriff. Tell him you're here if he needs you. Here You're here if he needs you. Then tell him your name, your telephone number, and just say, call me. And uh, one fellow wrote back and said, well, does that mean this, that? Can I fill out this form I found on the Internet that was out in Idaho? I said, yeah. The sheriff, he went to the sheriff department website, discovered that there was a form on the Internet that he could fill out to be a member of the posse. The uh, there's a there's a black there's a there's a black sheriff in Clay County, Florida. Just it's the county that's adjacent to Jacksonville's county to the west, and he he made that yeah. statement. Now the interesting thing that guy's black, okay, and he got on. He's got all his deputies behind him. He said, if need be, I will deputize every gun owner in the county to fight you. I did say gun owner. You did warn. Lawful, lawful. Every I lawful believe, gun owner. Yeah, every lawful. He gun said owner. every lawful gun owner. 
And he's also Dream the last spring. words he said. The the last words he said, Brent, were, "You've been warned." Yeah. <laughs> Green Coast well, Springs, home of Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Oh, is that, is, is I like that, that right? I like is that, that guy. Is that where Leonard's from, there, Bob? That's where the band was formed up. Yeah, and the Allman Brothers, a bunch of them from that I had southeast to, Georgia, northwest or northeast. Uh, yeah, yeah. They said I, I was listening to that article. I read that article. I was listening to you. They did say northwest, and I'm thinking Clay County ain't northwest. Right. And then they said. Yeah, uh, Duval County is uh, Jacksonville, and they're adjacent to it. Yeah. I had to go look it up. <laughs> no kidding. Um, let's see. Got about 20 minutes left. We've covered a lot of ground today, a lot of stuff on the courts, a lot of stuff on this administrative law, the invisible jurisdiction. Uh, did anybody have Roger. anything they wanted to bring up? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Is that you, Cody? Uh, it's me. No. Hi, Cody. I, I think – I think, hey, hey, guys, we should use that as a retort on this mass subject. If if that's the case, you just say, uh, you know, it, God God says that fear is a sin, and I don't fear <laughs> life without a mask. Some retort with people, anyway. Well, we got one uh, that's yeah. an intermediary step to that, which is the uh, disclaimer or the little statement that's over on Jim Ram's site that you right. can either use or laminate and use and just hand you have to misrepresent yourself you know you have to suggest that you've got a medical condition rather than you're standing up for well no i think one of those says they don't have the the authority to ask you about your legal condition so not necessarily yeah um the uh i notice more and more people down here in ecuador not wearing them but you know you this is one issue where you can really identify the sheep yeah, you know, you know the. Uh, I, I think you could just look him right in the eye and say, you know, I I don't participate in sadomasochism. You know, <laughs> I I really do. I think I'm I'm not a sadomasochist, and I I don't do that. How do you say that All in right? Spanish? But uh, you, you'd have to teach me. I don't know. But <laughs> me uh, too. But yeah. So you, you were talking earlier about the Supreme Court and nationals. And and here's I just want to I just want to throw this out you know when the uh, American Samoans who are nationals tried to bring a case before the United States Supreme Court they they couldn't hear it they wouldn't allow sociary on that that's for darn sure and that's a very good point because they had to bring those cases up as nationals through the district uh, appellate court level so I guess that answers my question yeah. and and. Uh, if they did, they wouldn't hear it. They they wouldn't hear it. Now, was that because they did or didn't have standing, or if they were just going to uh, lie and uh, deny it because they would expose them? They couldn't. So, they couldn't uh, allow I don't know that. The answer to it. But. They couldn't allow certiorari on that case because if they decided it publicly, they'd have to air too much dirty laundry. Okay, and secondly, if they decided against. Uh, against the U.S. in favor of American Samoa, they'd blow the whole system. Now they got no cover, and they see that's my point that these guys have rules that they follow. Okay, and uh, that's that's the deal on that one, and that's why it got all the way to the appellate court in D.C. Yeah, and that's where the certiorari was denied. 
Well, I, I agree with you. I, I do agree that they follow their they, they follow the rules to a certain degree as it as it benefits them up to the point where they won't. See, and that's right. There's gonna come a point where and, they don't even and what is that point? Okay. That's the point they got to take the mask off and and put themselves out as open tyrants. That's the point. They're getting close, aren't they? They're getting Could close, aren't they? Well, I, I would like to bring this up because it happened just the last day or two, and I've been saying we see signs of desperation everywhere from these guys. If you know what to look for, well, boy, they pulled one this week, okay? When you pull a guy like Stefan Molyneux with over a million subscribers or right at that number and however many videos are on there, and you totally pull him from the platform, and he's not even political. He's a philosopher. Okay, that's desperation. They pulled David Duke yesterday, and another guy I wasn't familiar with. Is, is that this? Is that desperation, or or I is see that it. No, just I, assertion of their uh -uh. ability to do as they want. No, I see it as say, what are you going to do about it? Well, what are you that's do about it, boys. That's basically it. Bring but it why? Why did they do that? Because they're desperate that his message getting out to that many people and having that influence. Okay, these aren't signs. They're signs of power, certainly, Cody, because they can do it. But they're also signs of desperation. But, well, let me tell you what. Out of his million, out of Stephen Milano's million subscribers or so, I'll bet you there's a good percentage that really weren't political or just looking for the philosophical messages that he put out, which are very solid. Okay, and that now they're going. Well, why is my guy pulled? And they're asking questions. That's why I say these things backlash on them. It's uh, it's an abomination. There's a bunch of uh, abominated souls in that part of the country where all those those companies are based. Boy, I'll tell you. And Ah, well, anyway, that was just one really interesting thing that popped up this week, and especially because of Stefan Molyneux. Are you familiar with him, Brent? Brent may not be with us. I had a couple people drop off. It's hard no. for me to tell. Oh, there you are. Okay. Are you familiar with him at all? Okay. So Stefan Molyneux. Have you seen any of his work? Tell me about it. Well, he's a Canadian philosopher, and he's, uh, I guess he's very conservative. He's been very prolific. I mean, as I said, his YouTube channel had almost a million subscribers. Okay, and he had a copious amount of work on there, uh, but they banned him this week. Okay, and not only banned him, they pulled everything, his whole channel, everything, all his work he's put on there for ten, fifteen years gone. So anyway, those are just a few of the things, the kind of things I look for is those kind of things that they do because that's what tells you what's going on in their minds. Yeah. Brent, did you did, did you see where the governor was overruled yesterday on the Bailey case? No, you're breaking up a second. I am breaking up the Darren Bailey. He won his. Uh, you have to read it all. It's on Illinois leaks. It's he won the whole injunction that they have to. Uh, what do they call that? The since June. Can you guys hear me okay? It's we can hear you. It's Brent. Brent's yeah. connection. Brent's connection is a little flaky today, but that's okay. 
Okay. The uh, what's the the legal term oh. from the beginning of April ab, ab, or whatever? Ab initio. Ab initio. The uh, all the executive orders on this COVID stuff have been have been thrown out. The federal court had it finally released it back to the state court and then the judge ruled on it yesterday and uh, I don't know all the details I haven't read all the papers but they're on Illinois leaks as an easy way to to find them if you guys are interested yeah I know you sent that out so last that night good. and I, I didn't have a chance to listen to it so that was a state court it was remanded back oh. from the feds and the state court because it's a state issue said that all the governor's uh, executive orders are basically null and void yeah yeah, I can pull it up here and let's see. Historic ruling today, thanks to Darren Bailey. Yeah, April 8th, 2020, void ab initio. Let me pull up the actual article. Um, current Illinois law provides that the governor has broad powers during the first 30 days of a disaster. Right. And the Illinois Department of Public Health and local county health departments have supreme authority as it relates to a pandemic. However... Our governor issued executive orders after that 30 days, so on and so forth. In other words, they're giving him the power to institute those kind of powers statewide, but for a limitation of 30 days. And in 30 days, days, if they're going to do more than that, they need to convene the legislature and come out with some legislative made laws. Yeah. And like Brent always talks about due process, that there are some broad powers apparently with the health department. But it's all on a foundation of due process. They don't just come down and shut you down. They come down, they take, you know, force you to go to court or whatever where you, you know, have a right to be heard. So that's, you know, that's part of the issue also is, you know, you, you have the due process with the health department that you don't have with these executive orders. Oh, well, you know, originally executive orders are pretty interesting, and I'm trying to think back. I studied them back when Clinton was throwing them around like darts. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, fl- flick of the pen law of the land. Pretty cool. You remember that comment from one of his aides and, uh, executive orders were started. And I forget in whose administration, but it was back after the first of the country and the only executive orders only applied to the ministers of the cabinet positions. Yeah. They're only supposed to be for bureaucrats technically, right? Right. right. Have they rewritten the laws and. You know. Well, they've changed the whole system, and they, see now they can—they got a whole new class of people they didn't have before. It's called these serfs, these people in voluntary servitude. Every time your whole life they've ever asked you, you've said yes. Has anybody ever, when they were asked on a form, "Are you a citizen of the United States?" up to the point you cross paths with me, did anybody ever say no? Well, I've, I, said, I've said something different. I don't well, say no, that confuses them. <laughs> I've said something different. I'll say, I'm a U.S. national or I'm a citizen of the state or whatever. Right. Like that. Right. But on those forms, they don't give you those options. You know, if you're getting informed, you, you generally, most of us unknowingly checked yes. So the point that I'm getting to that I've really just come to understand yeah, in the recent is their big deal is your consent. You see, it's just like it says in Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. Their consent is our victory. And we've given it yeah, to them so on a silver platter. In Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, uh, if you if you read it, 
and actually take the time and read it all the way through. And what you find out they're, they're talking about is game theory. Game theory. And uh, game theory is, is an application of warfare. And it's uh, how to bend your will without you understanding that they have just bent your will. This is game. Th- this is part of game theory in uh, fourth generation asymmetric warfare. So um, make no doubt about it. Uh, I've been saying it for a long time. Um, it's not an original thought on my part. I just uh, understand it for what it is. We've been at war for some time, and uh, the reason I know we're at war is because people are dying now. Uh, I would. I would. Uh, I would. I'm, I'm making a supposition here. But uh, I, I think that there's been more people die of suicide and, uh, uh, and, and other means associated with this uh, COVID scam than the people yeah. that actually died of the virus itself. And uh, so uh, I wanted to add there's something people dying here. on your at war deal. You know, in 1917, yeah. there was a piece of legislation passed called the Trading with the Enemies Act. Okay. And, yeah. And it designated Germans as the enemy, if you'll remember, right? And then around 1933 in the bankruptcy, that law was rewritten and the enemy was changed to citizens of the United States. Yeah. What, do you, what do you mean? Literally, it says citizens of the United States? Yes. Roosevelt rewrote the law, and they changed that one term from Germans to citizens of the United States. So there's your verification of what Daryl is talking about with them being at war against us. Well, what about a yeah. – Daryl, let me ask you this. You've studied all this occultism stuff. I would imagine that they get off more on you know, being able to get people to commit suicide than actually doing it themselves, huh? I would, I would oh, imagine. it's a well, it's a yeah, it's it's part of a of, of blood uh, blood sacrifice. No. You know, if you it, it, it involves de- death and blood. You know? I, I think honestly, <laughs> yeah, knowing if, these people, gets, some yeah. of these heinous individuals in this cult, because that's what they are. I think they'd rather do it themselves, like they did over in Bolshevik Russia. Well, yeah, I mean, listen. Uh, this is an interesting time here, real quickly, just a couple of uh, bullet points here. The, the, the basic American man and woman prior to World War I were uh, isolationists and peace lovers. That's they right. were anti-war. They wanted want nothing to do with this, and they had to be, they had to be coerced and compelled through uh, uh, yellow journalism and, uh, and basically occultic uh, mind control. And, and prodded into it, and and we have been on a decline uh, spiritually, morally, ethically. Any any standard that you want to lose, biblically, you, anything on a on a on a ride to hell ever since uh, World War One. Can you say okay. William Randolph Hearst? Can you say William Randolph well, Hearst? He, yeah. Well, the uh, how about Mr. Pulitzer? Okay. Mr. Pulitzer, he was big on it. As a matter of fact, William Randolph Hearst was supposed to be the guy that was supposed to get all the accolades, and he kind of turned on him. And so they gave it to Pulitzer so that you get to be, oh, you get to be a Pulitzer Prize winner now. Because, <laughs> or, or how about uh, the Rhodes Scholar? This is supposed to be a flattering title. 
well, what do we find out about the Rhodes Scholars? Okay, it, it just sort of goes is on that, and on here. Is that kind of like giving Obama? There, is that kind of like giving Obama the it, what did he get the Pulitzer it, Prize or the Nobel Prize for Peace no, or some of that? He ridiculous. got the he got the he got the he got the Nobel Prize, right? No, and, uh, <laughs> no total Bull yeah. Prize. Remember, yeah, but, they gave hey, yeah. in the Holodor yeah. in the Holodor, which was a true Holocaust of the Ukrainian people Holodor, over there. Yeah. The guy that was the New York Holodor. Times writer that covered Russia, I believe his name was Durante. They gave him the Nobel yeah. Prize for covering all that that death up. Yeah. All right. Well, so, so it was a prize. Well, now you have to know who's giving the prize out, don't you? So, you know, there's this. Uh, I'm going to spin this into a different, real quick here because we're about out of time. But, you know, uh, Caucasians are also identified as Caucasoids. You know, Caucasoids, right? You've heard this term before, a Caucasoid. Right. Yeah. You've heard this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, what we're finding out now uh, by uh, by the evidence that we're seeing is that uh, this is a mispronunciation of what this what uh, Caucasoids really are. They've been Caucasoids. Now they're Caucasoids. And uh, uh, you know what a cuck is, right? You know what a cuck is? A cucks. <laughs> this is do it to. I don't know. We did may I, be a little lost. It's it's the opposite. A cuck. Huh? A cuck. Cucks are cucks are effeminate men who uh, are self-loathing and hate their own race. Cucks. They bow down. These are the the cucks are the ones that you see bowing down, licking, uh, cleaning uh, cleaning other people's feet, and, and taking a knee. These are cucks. This is a cuck. It, okay. Uh, so maybe. Maybe my uh, my humor is being lost on this a little bit, but this is a new, <laughs> kind of a kind of a new and important understanding of uh, who these people are. So, well, let me, you know, uh, go ahead. Go let's ahead, Cody. let's let's talk about that Rhodes Scholar. Is it is it possible that they are publicly flouting the pedophile network since Rhodes was such a pedophile? Are they just publicly flouting to say, hey, these are the people? Yeah. That are the pedophiles, Listen, and you guys are no, too damn dumb to realize it? No, but some of them probably are. Now, I can tell you, I, I've crossed, Listen, I next crossed week, paths. This is a big subject. This I, is a big subject. A number of years ago, yeah. I have I would still one of the guys, my dear friend, uh, but a real good friend of his is a guy that was a big uh, Rhodes Scholar, and he was in the same class as Clinton because I met him briefly one time. Pretty impressive guy, and my friend you know, spoke real highly of him. And he was just learning about all this stuff because I was educating him a little bit. And he asked his friend who had been the president of the World Bank for a term or two. And he, he put all this stuff in front of you. He said, hey, man, the World Bank's too screwed up to pull off anything like that. <laughs> Which yeah. I thought was funny. Well, uh, but not necessarily, but some of them to- certainly, Cody. They're groomed from a very young age yeah. to be put through that curriculum. I could uh, the the Rhodes Scholar and Marshall Scholarship is a, is really a big subject. Uh, uh, we could maybe go into it next week or sometime, uh, but it, it really takes a two hour show to really cover it and do do its service. It's a very big deal. And um, uh, listen, we got we got a lot of people that are waking up to this idea of Marxism, Leninism, yep. communism, and this whole time that you're looking over here at the Marxist-Leninists 
you're you're under Fabian socialism. Yep, yep. Which you don't understand, and they're not talking about. Yep, the yep. Fabians have been here for a long time. Yes. And the Fabian socialists have been here. They're in control. They run your government. They run your court systems. And it's the Fabians. Okay. Yep. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That that isn't and that yeah. is who it is. Although they've changed uh, the fab, they've changed their logo. It used to be a wolf in ships sheep's clothing, and now it's a turtle. Yep, they've changed it to a tortoise. Yeah, when I when I strike when I strike I strike hard. That's right, Brent. <laughs> you still with us, bro? Hey, Brent. Brent, I'm here. Okay. Uh, you want to, we're at the tail end. I, you want me to, you want to sign out here with telling folks how they can get more of you? I can do that. But I'm going to say real quickly that your friend of mine told me that when he was in the academy, whatever law enforcement academy it was, uh, he would go and he said, um, have you figured out yet? It's us versus them. He said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Don't figure it out. You get out there. You'll find out it's us versus them. It's law enforcement versus everybody else." I've got to keep that in mind. Call me and call us. Brown letters. Tumblr. You can pay the book, um, uh, the winterized version of the Bible. Brent, you're cutting up real. You're 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 cutting up real bad today. You had a little bit of a hair, bad hair day on your connection. Let me just tell the audience: it's commonlawyer.com. All kinds of information about his books. He's got little slices of things he's put on there. Audio you can listen to them multiple times, and it's got directions on how you can join him in church on Sunday. I think that covers the majority of it there, Brent. Appreciate you being with us. Sorry for the flaky connection, uh, but it was a good show, and we covered a lot of real good information. And I think Jim Ram usually puts uh, replays in on Friday, but if that's the case, uh, a Jim Ram replay will be next. Have a real, real good uh, – try and remember what tomorrow's all about and keep your defenses up because there ain't no telling what they're going to throw at us. And we will discuss it on Monday. Y'all take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you, Brent. <laughs>